book of Jude, verse number 20. And uh, the Bible says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the priest, or excuse me, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for tonight. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the midweek service. God, what a, what a, what a prove, Lord, what a break it seems to be, God, from the busyness of life. Lord, the, the problems and the cares, Lord, the stress, uh, Lord, from our jobs and our occupations. Lord, what a blessing it is, God, just to come, to sit down, to catch our breath, and Lord, and worship you, Lord, praise your name, to lift up our request before you, God. I'm thankful, Lord, for a place, God, that we can come together, we can assemble together, Lord, encourage one another, Lord, share our burdens with one another, but Lord, ultimately to hear from your word and to hear from heaven tonight, God, is what we stand in need of. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you just, uh, Lord, work in our hearts. God, would you hide me behind the cross of Calvary? God, would you get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit? Lord, they don't need to hear what I have to say. God, we need to hear from heaven tonight. And I ask you, Lord, you just let me be a mouthpiece, Lord, that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, speak to our hearts directly, personally tonight. Lord, help us respond accordingly. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Jude is a short book, no doubt. It's one chapter. And I feel like if the Lord ever let me write a book in the Bible, I'd probably write something compared to Jude. Uh, just short, sweet, to the point. And, uh, but tonight, Jude is actually, the, if you look at verse number one, Jude introduces himself. He says, I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. In reality, Jude is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that he's the brother of James, who is also another half-brother of Christ. But notice here that Jude doesn't let his physical relationship to Christ, that which is uh, uh, extenuated from his mother, uh, being uh, both the mother of James, Jude, and Jesus here, he doesn't use that as his credentials. He doesn't say, hey, listen to me, because I grew up in the same house in the presence physically of the Lord Jesus Christ because tonight that's not what qualifies Jude to be in the Bible tonight. Matter of fact, Jude's like me and you, sinners saved by grace. And so it's not that familial relationship that, that qualifies Jude. What qualifies him? He's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's one that is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he identifies, he clarifies, I'm the brother of James. And so he understands who, so people would know who he was. But here tonight, he qualifies it by saying, I'm, a, I'm nothing more than one who is serving Jesus Christ. Yes, I grew up in the same house as him maybe, and I was around him at family reunions and things like that, but in reality, I'm just one of his servants. And tonight we're going to see here that Jude spends the majority of his book, his, his, his short book here tonight, he spends the majority of it warning Christians. He lays out a warning and different things for the believers tonight, but they're not general warnings. They're not like, hey, don't do evil. Or they're not like, hey, don't tell any lies. We were at a... We were at a, uh, the house of Ian Bounds this week and there was a historical thing about some of those that had, had you know, were raised up in Washington and Wilkes County and all that wonderful stuff. And they interviewed a man, they asked him, he was a former slave, they said, how did you live so long? He said, because I don't tell any lies. 
and I, I mean, tonight I don't know how that works, but uh, tonight here Jude is giving these warnings, and like I said, they're not generic warnings, they're, they are very specific to believers, and it's as if you could take Jude from when it was written hundreds of years ago and stamp it and put it right here in 2022, and those warnings still apply. Here's some things that he warned them against here in his, his, his book tonight. He warned them against God deniers. Look at verse number four of the book of Jude. And there are certain men crept in unawares who, before, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Atheism isn't anything new. It didn't come around in the 21st century. It didn't come around in the introduction of evolution. Atheism has been around, but the Bible doesn't call them atheists. What does the Bible call them? It calls them fools. A fool has said in his heart that God, there is no God. It's nothing new uh, in the day and age we live in, but here is Judy saying, hey, I need to warn you, there are men out there who are gonna deny the Lord. They're gonna take the very grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness. And they'll say things like this, if God really let you or God really loved you, he'll let you do whatever you wanna do. And the truth of the matter is that's not how grace works. That's not the point of grace. God didn't save us so we could keep doing whatever we wanted to do. He saved us so we could do something that only only we could do with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and God in our life, and that is to live the Christian life. And so he warned them against God deniers. He warned them against flesh defilers. Look at verse number eight. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He said, hey, watch out for the knowledge there. Those are gonna deny the Lord and say that he's not God and say he's not the Savior, but then there's some who are gonna do their best to encourage you and push you towards satisfying the flesh and, and, and being a flesh defiler. That word defile means to stain. The flesh is the body, and that is those, those sins against those bodies, the sins that, that me and you do, we know we're not supposed to, we're not, we're not uh, encouraged anywhere in the word of God to participate in them, yet we find ourselves doing those things. He said, watch out, because there are men, and there's ladies who are gonna say, hey, come over here, do this, do that, it's okay. But in reality is, notice where they are, where these, these flesh defilers, where does it start from? The Bible says, also these filthy dreamers. In essence, there is a thought that, that takes place in somebody's mind. Instead of bringing that, 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 that thought under subjection of Christ, they dwell on it, they think about it, and then they start to plan about it, and then they start to figure out ways, and, and then all of a sudden what they've been thinking about finds an opportunity, and now what they've dreamed, that filthy dream they've been uh, just dreaming on and dwelling on, now causes them to defile the flesh. Then he goes on to say, well, what is the result of that? Those who, who are unchecked, those who don't deal with that, they despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Is that not the day and age we live in? There's, I grew up and there was this, it was just understood you respected authority and you respected those that were over you in authority that, that, that made the rules and things like that. Nowadays, that's gone. Nowadays, that's missing, not just in the world, but even in, within the family, within the church. Now, there's a lack of respect for authority. God is a God of order. God is a God of authority. And so we're going to serve him, then we have to get underneath his authority. We have to get underneath his word and do the things the way God designed them. So he said he warned them against flesh defilers. He warned them against God deniers. He warned them against compromising acceptance. Look at verse number 12. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you. In essence, you bring them in and here's what you know about them. They feed themselves. 
They're without fear. There is no respect for God or respect to the things of God. They are clouds without water. They're carried about of winds. They, you can't count on them because one day they're here and one day they're there and they're, they're always flip-flopping back and, back and forth. The Bible says the double-minded man is unstable, not just in a few of his ways, but all of his ways. He said there's compromising acceptance here. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And, and, and right here, Jude said, hey, don't just allow them to come in and say, all right, now you're part of our fellowship. Now you're part of our body. Now you're part of our group. We're so glad for you to be here. Well, let me ask you, what are they bringing to the table? What are they bringing to the fellowship? And here, here's Jude lays it out. They're bringing nothing. What is a cloud without water? What is a tree without fruit? It's pointless. It's lacking that thing that is necessary. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 5 that they have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And then he goes on to say, from such turn away. Just because somebody claims to be something, just because somebody looks like something doesn't mean that's what they always are. The Pharisees claim to be godly. The Pharisees claim to be religious. The Pharisees claim to be the right that you need to listen to. And they had the right ideas, the right opinions. The truth. They were far, as far away from the truth as you could get. And we see that he warned them against compromising acceptance. Bible says somewhere else in the word of God, it says try the spirits and see if they, whether or not they be of God. Can I say tonight, sometimes we just need to pump the brakes on some things. Before we say, all right, just come on in. Like it is in the home, not, just, not even in the church, well, even in the home, there's some shows you need to check out before you let them play. There's some music that you need to think about before you let it come into the house or to come into, into your life, so to speak, to try it out. Don't just say, well, it, it says God. It, it's rated PG. It, it, it has to be good. No, you need to try it. You need to try it. He warned them against compromising acceptance. Verse number 16, he warned them against crowd chasers. Look at verse number 16, the book of Jude. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Notice the crowd that they have drawn, the crowd that they're trying to please, the crowd that they are growing around. They're murmurers, complainers, lustful and boastful. It's amazing. When you, if you're looking for a crowd, you'll find them. But nine times out of ten, it ain't the crowd that you really need. It's amazing, well, I can't remember how the saying goes that misery loves company is how it goes, but it's amazing how people all of a sudden can, can come together. You think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came together is monumental because they disagreed on the very resurrection of the body. They, they disagreed on core doctrine, and yet in order to come against Christ, they came together, murmurers and complainers. And, and here Judas is warning us, hey, watch out. Don't be a crowd chaser because you'll find yourself in a crowd of people you don't want to be with. And notice here, verse number 19, he warned them against sensual separatists. Look at verse number 19. These be they who separate themselves. Sensual, having not the spirit. Having not the spirit. There's been, if, you, if you're on social media, if you, if, you, if you follow those kind of things tonight, there's been a, and I don't know when it started exactly, but over the past few years, there's been this polling out of the independent Baptist movement, independent fundamental Baptist uh, doctrine, 
teaching, form of worship, all that kind of stuff tonight. There's been a lot of people who have pulled away from that. Can I say tonight, yes, not every independent fundamental Baptist pastor has been perfect. Matter of fact, none of them have been. And that, yes, there's been some that have abused the pulpit, they've abused authority, no doubt. But here's the thing, anytime you have men involved, there's, there's gonna be full, both sides of the spectrum tonight. But here they are, they're pulling away from that which they know to be true, from that which they know to be right, and they're separating themselves. I'm not gonna do that anymore. Why? Because they don't feel good anymore. It's not what, I, what is convenient to me was what he says in verse number 19. These be they who separate themselves sensual. In essence, it's not a spiritual decision. It's not a, it's not a, a doctrinal decision. It's not, a, it's not a, a decision based on truth or the word of God. I'm separating myself because I want to do what feels good. And here Judah said, hey, watch out for those people. He warned them against sensual separatists. They separate themselves from the things of God. But in verse number 20, he changes. The majority of his book, he's saying, hey, watch out for these people. Watch out for these groups. Watch out for these dangers. And you get down to verse number 20, he says, but ye, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Can I say tonight, yes, there's things that you and I need to be warned, warned about and warned from and, and, and encouraged to stay away from and not to participate in. But can I say that's just half of it tonight? Because James puts it this way in, in, in James 1.27. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In essence, the first the majority of Jews' book, he's telling us to stay away and be unspotted from the world. But the reality is that's just half of it. We see right there in James 1.27, there's another half to the Christian life. And it is, it is this act of compassion. It's this act of going out. It's this act of reaching towards those that need our help to visit the fathers and the widows and their affliction. But I want to look right there at verse number 22. Some have compassion making a difference. Now, tonight, no doubt, we could probably mention the things that we're against, the things that we stay away from, the things that we don't want no part of tonight. No doubt, that's part of the Christian life. But if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to, if we're going to be a Christian that makes a difference, there's going to, be, there's going to have to be an act, an act of abstinence or staying away from something. But at the same time, there's going to have to be an act of compassion an act of concern, an act of reaching out, an act of adding to and building up our Christian life. I believe every Christian can have a Christian, every Christian can be a Christian that makes a difference by applying the following elements given to us by Jude here in, in the book of Jude. Notice number one, a Christian who makes a difference will be constructive. A Christian who makes a difference is constructive. Look at verse number 20. But ye, beloved, so we know who he's talking to. He's not talking about all the people he just warned us about. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to those that identify with Christ. But ye, or but you, he's made it specific. He's made it personal. And can I say tonight, yes, I'm talking to the, to the crowd tonight. I'm talking to the church tonight. I'm preaching to the congregation. But the reality is, I'm, I, 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 like the Lord preached to me, I'm preaching to you tonight. So if you're asking yourself, I wonder if this message is for me tonight. It is. Matter of fact, when I was studying this, I had you on my mind. I had you in my heart. I'm going to preach this for them. Because I find myself in the category of you tonight. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves 
on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. A couple weeks ago, we were, we were walking through the prestigious halls of Dollar Tree. <laughs> Gotta love inflation. Because it's no longer the Dollar Tree, it's the Dollar 25 tree. But that don't make no sense. And so we were walking through there and TR got excited. I mean, he, he got so excited, he took off towards the, the toy aisle. And can I say tonight, if, if he's going to buy toys from anywhere, I'd, I'd, I'd thank the Lord he's buying them from Dollar Tree. <laughs> but he was so excited because TR loves to build Legos. Now, Legos are from somewhere in Europe, but they're expensive. They're highly expensive. But at the Dollar Tree, they sell the 12-inch by 12-inch thin piece that you can build upon. And he was so excited. I was excited because they're a dollar twenty-five, opposed to the nineteen ninety-five that you have to pay for Lego to get one. And he was so excited. He brought it back, and he he was telling me all the things he could build upon this new foundation that he has. He said, "I I I I I wanted to do these things. And I used to wish I could do these things." He said, "But I didn't have the foundation to do so. But now he's got a new foundation that he can build upon." Now he's got a new foundation that he can build those projects that he's been waiting to build. And can I say tonight, when the Lord saved us, when we accepted the free gift of salvation, you and I were given a new foundation, a foundation that is, that is, that is built upon and that is, that, is, that, is, that is caused by faith. And I look what he says right there, but you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. In essence, tonight it is a personal building project. Building up yourselves. And so tonight, we can't get mad at anybody else or accuse anybody else of us not growing in our faith if there is no personal application of the truth that is presented to us. It's a personal project. Yourselves, you can't expect anybody else to do it for you. I cannot grow you as a Christian. I cannot learn you anything as a Christian. I can present the truth. I can teach the truth. And you can take it and you can apply it and let it grow you in the faith. It allows you to be constructed. A Christian who makes a difference is one who is constructed, one who grows in their faith. We see tonight that we are, we are never told to be stagnant in our Christian journey. Now, there's times of waiting. There's times of, uh, 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 of standing still to see the salvation of the Lord and, and realizing that there's nothing else we can do. But the reality is tonight, the Christian life isn't supposed to be a progressive life. It is not to be, you're not to be in the same place spiritually uh, 10 years after your salvation that you were when you got saved. There ought to be growth in the Christian life. And a lot of times we expect it just to happen. You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done, keep doing how I've always done it, and one day I'm going to grow. Can I say nothing, nothing grows like that. Nothing, nothing grows. You didn't grow like that. When you were born and you were just a babe, your parents didn't lay you to the side and say, all right, 10 years from now, you're going to be full grown. I'm just going to leave you be. No, they fed you until you learned how to feed yourself, and then you fed yourself, and then you begin to grow. So what are we supposed to be building upon our most holy faith? The faith that was delivered to us in verse number three of Jude talks about the faith being delivered to us. We're, earnest, we're supposed to earnestly contend for it. But it's that faith that delivered the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The gospel, that which was delivered to us. We say, so preacher, how do we grow? How do we grow the same way TR builds anything out of Legos? He takes one piece and he adds it on to another. He takes one piece and he adds it on to another. He takes one piece and he adds it on to another. They've been there working on the, the high school there in Hepsiba. 
And we drive by it every time we come to church. And we've watched them as they've cleared off the land and they put down the foundation. Now we've watched them. They've built the bricks up and they've put all the stuff on it. And we just enjoy watching it. Here's the thing. There's a superintendent somewhere who is standing there saying, I need this done today. I want this done today. Notice this. His desire alone doesn't get the job done. Somebody's got to come in and take that which is needed and put it where it's supposed to be. There's got to be an application. Notice here in verse uh, number 20, he talks about building up yourselves of your most holy faith. Second Peter gives us the, what does that look like? What is that? There's, uh, do, I just, do I just sit around and wait for my faith to grow? No, Second Peter, first is, uh, let's see, verse one, five through eight, it says, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, into virtue knowledge, into knowledge temperance, into temperance patience, into patience godliness, into godliness brotherly kindness, into brotherly kindness Charity, for these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here tonight, how does one grow in the Christian life? You ready for it? Application. Application. Taking that, with, that truth which is presented us, whether through the preached word of God, through personal study, or through, through witness and testimony and through fellowship, taking that truth and then saying that's good truth and applying it practicing it, putting it into shoe leather, so to speak, and putting it into practice in our everyday life. That's how one builds upon their most holy faith. They take that which God has shown them, and now they don't just say, that's good, that's wonderful, but now they put it into practice. Notice those, those are built upon faith, not faith built upon them. Faith cometh by hearing. You received faith, and you and I activated faith, and we got saved by the grace of God. We believed God was, and that God did, and therefore our faith was activated. Now faith comes, or growth comes from adding to your faith. Notice the one who's constructed, not only will they add to their faith, but notice what it says right there in verse number 20. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you that. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Holy Ghost? And oftentimes when we think about that, that verbiage, we think about that phrase, we think of somebody who is, whose volume of their voice has elevated. Right? Then they are praying loud. They must be praying in the Holy Ghost. Or maybe the position in which they pray, boy, they are laid out, prostrate around. The, they must be praying in the Holy Ghost. Or maybe the way their body moves uh, as they're praying. They must be praying in the Holy Ghost. Can I say that? It has nothing to do with your volume. It has nothing to do with the position of your body or the movement of your body or really the words that are coming out of, out of your mouth, so to speak. Because I'm glad tonight that me, how many glad tonight mean you don't have to pray with perfect English and perfect grammar? Because none of my prayers would ever get through. That's probably not even good English right there. But I'm grateful tonight. Yes, the Lord understands the intents of my heart. But what does it mean to pray in the Holy Ghost? In essence, you are praying in tune, in step, under the leadership, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you and him are walking step in step. His desires are your desires. His wants are your wants. It's no longer, Lord, I'm asking this, Lord, because I want this, but Lord, I'm asking this for this because I believe you desire this out of my life. Lord, give me what I need to accomplish the will of God. So we're to pray in the Holy Ghost. We're to build upon our faith. We're told to pray, and we're told how to pray and not pray in the word of God tonight. Are we, are we praying in a sense that is praying in the Holy Ghost, in tune with the Holy Spirit? Like I said, we've been driving by that construction site, and I think, 
I think they started building it back in 2020, maybe 2021. And I remember telling my mom that they were supposed to have it done by the school year last year. And she was like, for real? I said, yeah, that's what they told us. Well, that's what I think I read somewhere. Obviously, I read something wrong because they're still working on it. But there's been evident growth there. Now, let me ask you now, what is the goal of that place? Why? What are they hoping to do with all that construction to have a finished product? A place where kids can go in and learn and kids can go in and, 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 and do what kids do at school nowadays, which who knows what goes on in schools most days. But they are constructing that for, a, for completion, a, a maturity where it is able to be used. And the same is true in our Christian life. When we desire, Lord, grow me. What do we mean by that? It is, Lord, grow me to a place and grow me to a position and grow me to an attitude and a mindset that I can be used for the glory. Lord, help me to mature in my Christian faith. Christians who make a difference are Christians who are constructive because a Christian who's not concerned with growth is not concerned with doing the will of God, is not concerned with serving the Lord. A Christian who makes a difference is one who's constructive. Notice number, uh, let me ask you this now, are you building up your faith according to biblical truths? Then notice number two tonight, a Christian who makes a difference is one who's committed. A Christian who makes a difference is one who's committed. Look at verse number 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, that verse sometimes is taken out of context. And it's used out of context to try to establish the fake doctrine, or the wrong doctrine of salvation by works. They'll say, see right there, look what it says. You have to keep yourselves in the love of God. You have to do, you're, yes, you're saved by grace, but your works keep you is what they'll tell you. Now let me ask you tonight, name me one work that is greater than Christ dying on the cross of Calvary and resurrecting again. What work got you saved? It, that was that work. <laughs> it wasn't what we did. We simply by faith believed that Jesus died for us, that he rose again the third day and that he's made salvation possible. He's done the work tonight. And so here that verse isn't talking about me and you keeping our salvation, but rather it's telling us to be committed to Christ. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Because of what the word keep means. It means to guard oneself from injury or from loss. In essence, you keep yourselves from doing something or going somewhere or participating in something because you know there's a possibility of damage that might come from that. The word keep doesn't put control, put you in control of your salvation or reminds you to stay committed to the one who saved you. There it is. Keep yourselves in the love of Christ. What the, that Christ-like love. In essence, what Judah is telling us is don't stray from the love of God. Don't stray from the love of God. Never get to the place where you think or you feel as if you could make and do what you do outside of God loving you. Why, preacher, why are you here tonight? Because God loves me. Why are you here tonight? Because God loves you. And we realize that if God hadn't loved us, none of us would be here tonight. And there's a danger that comes with me and you straying from the love of God because there's two, there's two sides of that that mean you can drift to, neither one of which are good. The first one is self-justification. If I, forget, if I don't keep myself in the love of God, if I'm not careful sooner or later, I'll think I've done a good job. I'll think I've accomplished something great. Look what I have done. Self-justification. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But at the same time, if I struggle from the love of God, there's also, how do I write it down, self-destruction over here. God will never forgive me. I, I've strayed too far. God will never use somebody like me again. Neither one of those are a proper description of the love of God. 
Because love, God's love is, is beyond our comprehension. And we see it on display in the word of God. We see God's love in, in salvation. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know tonight that salvation is based in and is founded upon the love of God. The fact that me and you even know what salvation is that we've experienced is because God loves us. It's not because of, of who we are and what we've done. But we also see his love and sanctification. In essence, he loves us enough to save us. At the same time, he loves us enough to grow us, to sanctify us. Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ with passive knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the thing. What happens when you keep yourself in the love of God? You guard yourself. You remind yourself that God loves you and that he cares for you. You'll begin to understand the love of God. You'll begin to understand it in a greater depth and a greater understanding. Well, preacher, will I ever get to a place where I have it all figured out, where I know everything about the love of God? Ephesians tells us it passes knowledge. And so even what man could divide, devise and come up with a night, it does not fully understand and comprehend the love of God. And I'm glad it's that way. Because if I could find the end of God's love, then that means God's love has an end. And what if I found that? And God had to quit loving me, but his love is eternal. His love has no end tonight. His love is never ending. Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord hath appeared unto the, of old unto me, saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He said, I loved you before you even knew what love was. I loved you before you even knew who I was. I loved you before you even cared anything about God, anything about church. I loved you before your family member prayed for you. I loved you before you were even born. I loved you before you even were a person. I loved you with everlasting love. And it's because of my love for you that I drew, that I've drawn, that I've I've allowed you uh, to understand and be drawn by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, the fact that me and you know what conviction is is because God loves us. I'm glad that he loves us tonight. And I I desire to keep myself in the love. I don't ever want to get over the fact that God loves me. And at the same time, I want that, the fact that God loves me to help me make the right choices. Because I want to please the one that loves me. I want to please the one that died for me. So you have to be committed not only to the right attitude, but also to the right anticipation, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're to construct and stay committed. Look what it says right there in verse number 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We are to construct and grow and stay committed, but one day the mercy of God will be fully revealed to us when we arrive in heaven. When it's made fully uh, to us tonight, that which we do down here and that which we've strived for down here and what we've, we, how we've allowed God to grow us and how we've committed ourselves to the Lord, thanks be to God, one day we'll be, inter- we'll be in heaven with God for eternity. We ought to live like every day, like that could be today when he calls us home, when our faith is made sight. Here's the thing tonight, you can't build anything. You cannot build anything with commi- without commitment. You can't do it. How many of us have ever started something, but we've never finished it? How many of us got about six or seven projects at the house? We had good intentions. We had great desire. We started, and somewhere we forgot it, (laughs) and we left it alone somewhere, and we just sat it off over there, and we'll get to it eventually. I mean, I'm terrible about that. I get excited about something. I I, I get gung-ho about it, and then it takes more than a day to get it done. I ain't got time for that. And so I'll get to it later. I won't forget about it. I won't forget about it. Six months later, I, I, I haven't forgot about it. I just, 
I just ain't been committed to it. <laughs> now, you can't build anything without commitment. We're told to construct, but in order for me to build upon our holy faith, it takes commitment. Every day, getting up and saying, all right, Lord, today I'm committing myself to you. I'm keeping myself in the love of God. I don't want to stray. I don't want to go, go to the side, Lord. I'm committing myself. Let me ask you, are you committing yourself daily to building your relationship with the Lord? Notice, number one, a Christian who makes a difference is one who is constructive. Number two, a Christian who makes a difference is one who is committed. Then notice number three tonight, a Christian who makes a difference is one who is concerned. In essence, the first two points deal with me and you as individuals, as a Christian. If I'm going to make a difference, I've got to get me right first. And that's I, I can't, I cannot uh, put my personal relationship on hold with the hopes of making a difference for Christ. My personal relationship with the Lord has to be right. I need to be right with the Lord. And then once I've built up my faith and God has built me and grown me, and once I've committed myself to the love of Christ and I, I'm living daily committed to him, we need to have concern. Because yes, the Christian life is not always about me and you. It's about others that need the Lord. A committed, person will, uh, a committed personal walk with Christ will always lead to a burden for those who don't have one. Preacher, why do you want to see people saved? So they can experience what I've experienced. So they can have a personal walk with the Lord. So they can know what it's like to go to bed at night with the, with the peace of God and to get up in the midst of a trial and still have joy and to go through problems in life knowing he is in control. I want them to have that. Why? Because I've experienced that in my life. Look what it says right there in verse number 22. It said, And some have compassion making a difference, and others say with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Here's the thing. Separation without construction is fruitless. Construction without commitment is fruitless. Commitment without compassion is fruitless. Making a difference requires all this to be taking place in one's life. But here's the thing tonight. We oftentimes come to this verse and I, you know, I've done it myself. You come to this verse and we, we say, all right, if you're going to be compassionate, that only looks like one avenue. Compassionate is me and you having pity upon someone, me and you having empathy with somebody. We, we hug them, we, we pray for them, we, we, we love them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, some people are reached that way. But you've got to read verse number 23, and others say with fear, polling them out of the fire. We see that there's two sides of the coin of compassion. And most people take one side or the other. In essence, I can only be this form of compassion. This is all I can be. And a lot of times what we, we try to do is we try to take compassion and identify it with our personality and say, well, this is how I have to be compassionate. The truth of the matter is, it said that some having compassion make a difference and others say with fear. In essence, there's two groups of people out there that need to see both sides of compassion from us. Preacher, how do I know who, who how, how do I know which one to show to who? It takes discernment. That's why you have to have a committed walk to Christ. That's why you got to build upon your faith. That's why you have to be constructive and committed to Christ so you'll understand and have discernment on who and how to show compassion. See, there's the tender approach, mild and lowly. Then there's the tough approach. That's how I, I titled it, or the quickly and loudly, boldly. Oftentimes we think of somebody who is uh, bold and, 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 and loud and, 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 and forceful in the sense that they're trying their best because they know there's a lot at stake. And we have both of these in our life. And our natural personality doesn't pick which approach, but rather the person we're dealing with in discernment of the Holy Spirit tells us which one. 
The Bible says some and some others, some will be moved by, by benevolence. Me and you being kind to them, me and you showing them the love of Christ, empathizing with them, being a blessing to them, you know, buying their lunch. And, and when we sit down, we share the gospel with them. We tell them about the goodness of God. We tell them about the grace of God and the love of God and how God loved them so much that he died for them and he made salvation available to them. If they would just come to Christ, he would love them too. Some people you reach that way. Some people that it just takes that, that tender approach. You, you, can, you can talk to them. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and longsuffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. A lot of times when, when we're dealing with children and dealing with the younger ages, a lot of times this is what they realize that yes, God loves them. Yes, I understand there is a hell. Yes, I understand that there is a, there's an eternal separation from God for one who doesn't accept Christ and they end up in a place called the lake of fire that, that, no, that God wants no person to go to. They understand that tonight. When they find out that yes, God loves them, it reaches them. They understand it. The act of compassion through benevolence. But then verse 23 says, compassion also has a side of boldness to it. As a side of boldness, some believe that only those who show benevolence are expressing compassion. Let me ask you tonight, if your house is on fire and one of your children or one of your grandkids are in there, you probably don't need to go with a tender approach. You don't need to stand at the door and say, hey, come out of there. Come on. It's on fire. Please come out. Man, that's compassion. You're being considerate, no doubt. That ain't going to save them. You got to run in there at the top of your voice. Hey, where you at? I've come to save you. I'm co come with me now. Or in essence, if, if somebody you loved was standing out in the middle of the road out there, you wouldn't say, hey, get out of there. Get out. Listen, I love you. God's good. Get out of there. Come on. Get, you'd be hot. Get out the road. There's danger out there. You're going to get, it's going to destroy you. Your life's going to end. Get out of the road. Can I say, it's a lot more bold, it's a lot more loud, it's a lot more what we're not used to, but it's still compassion. Because you're wanting to save them, you're wanting to, to pull them out of that life that they're in. Look what he says right there in verse number 23, and they save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. In essence, there's a, there's a force behind it. It is, it is a, I don't have time to be quiet and meek right now. I'm trying to save your life. And there's some people you want to reach that way. Some people you want to sit down with them and be bold with them. And say, hey, listen, I love you, and I love you enough to tell you the truth that if you keep doing what you're going to do, how you're doing it, if you keep denying the Lord sooner or later, he's going to allow you to make that final choice, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. And I don't want you to go there. You need to trust Christ. But both those take discernment. Both those take discernment tonight. And Jesus showed this to us when he was walking planet Earth. Because he talked to people differently. Now, I don't think any of us would raise our hand and say there's ever a point in Jesus' life where he was not compassionate. Where he's not loving. He was not caring. But he talked to people differently. He didn't talk to Nicodemus the same way he talked to the rest of the Pharisees. John chapter number three, the Bible says Nicodemus comes to him tonight and he begins to reason with them. He's trying his best to explain salvation to them. He's trying his well, he's not trying his best, he is explaining salvation to them. Nicodemus is struggling with it. And yet he just keeps explaining it to them in the need of it. You must be born again. But you follow another time where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he deals with them boldly, out of love, because he's trying to get them to realize and get them to see the error of their way. He calls them what? Stiff-necked vipers. He calls them whitened white sepulchers. 
In essence, they, are, they look nice on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. Jesus was compassionate in both those instances. And he's showing us that, hey, some people, if we're going to be compassionate, yes, it's going to be me and you being that, that lowly, that, that benevolent person. But some people, listen, we're going to have to sit down and say, hey, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to not let you go into hell without excuse, without understanding. For the longest, I thought if I have compassion, that I'll make a difference. But more than just being sympathetic and being nice to people, sometimes you have to be bold. How concerned are you for, for sinners? Have you asked the Lord for discernment on how to reach those that are nearest to you? Lord, what's the best way? Lord, how do you want me to reach them with the gospel? Meaning you're going to make a difference. It's going to take concern. It's going to take commitment. And it's going to take construction. We're going to have to grow in our faith. And then we're going to have to commit ourselves daily to the Lord. And then we're going to have to allow the Lord to, to, to lead us and guide us in the area of compassion tonight. I said, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked myself. Am I going to be a Christian? Are you going to be a Christian that makes a difference? Let's pray to Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for tonight.